in there for Silky. Okay. Vasilka is her name. I was going to ho- kind of hoping everyone would call her Silky from now on. But um, all right. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 15, uh, 9 verse 15. And while you find that, I will remind you that this is an expositional Bible study kind of class where we work through books and try to determine what God's Word says, what it means, how it applies to our life in real time. So here we are. We've made our way to um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. And this is God's Word, Hebrews 9, verse 15. Therefore, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood, For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, quite a few years ago when I did college ministry here at this church, we had uh, about 10 to 12 medical or dental or drug students uh, in our ministry. And uh, that was really a fun thing to watch them go through all that. And uh, anyway, one of the cool things is one of them, one of the medical students snuck me into the cadaver lab. And uh, that was a pretty wild scene going to the cadaver lab. And uh, let me just describe it to you. It smells like formaldehyde. And uh, it's kind of cold in there. And uh, the bodies are wrapped up in this kind of CSI plastic. And because it's cold in there, when you take the plastic off, it goes... I mean, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of stiff, this plastic, and uh, you open it up, and uh, the, the, the medical students work on it, and, uh, and the, you know, the, the patients are like cross-sectioned, and they open it up, and the one class works on it, and they're like, hey, a kidney, hey, look at this, oh, wow, mm, you know, and then they put it all back again, and they put the plastic back on it and everything, and so we go in there, and I was wondering how I would react to it, you know, and... Uh, so I'm like, okay, kind of stinky, but okay. I'm, I'm, keep a cool head, man. Don't freak out. You know, don't run out of the room crying. Um, and so we look at the first one. I'm like, wow. I mean, it was just, it was sacred and strange and, and overwhelming and wow. And so we put everything back in plastic back. And we go to a second one. And I was like, wow, Jim, you held it together. Wow, pretty cool. And so we go to this other one, open it up. And whatever class had worked on this poor body last didn't put it together quite right. So that this, you know, it was dit, 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 right? These sections. This section was here, right? And so they, they bring the, take, he takes the plastic off, and I see the, the areola, which that's the only time in a sermon in the whole world that anyone has used that word. But it, the, the reality is the areola was down here. And I had done fine for 20 minutes on the first one. And when I saw that, I went, 
I barely held it together. I didn't run that by Tammy, by the way. Um, I barely held it together because I saw that thing in the wrong spot and I was like, well, that's not supposed to be there. I found it revolting because it was anti-natural. It wasn't, it's not the way things are supposed to be. You know, Tammy had a kid uh, years ago in her class that would not only faint at the sight of blood, he would faint at the word blood, the idea of blood. He just would go down over the idea of blood. Well, same kind of a thing. You know, you see blood and it's, it's shocking and it's gory uh, and it's, it's confusing. It's unnerving. The, the, uh, it's not supposed to be on the outside of a body. It's supposed to be on the inside. We go, oh, blood. It's so shocking because that doesn't belong out there. Well, think about a watching world looking at we Christians singing songs about the blood of Jesus Christ. That is strange behavior, isn't it? I mean, they've got to think we're fountain full of blood, uh, blood this, blood that, shed blood. It just sounds so strange. But the point of it all, ladies and gentlemen, and specifically the point of our passage, is that it is supposed to be strange. It's supposed to be unnerving. It's not normal to see blood outside of the human body. It's disturbing. And that is the message of this gospel, and that is the thing we need to consider. And here's what uh, I think the passage is telling us here today. Jesus spilled his blood unto death in place of yours. The wages of sin is death. Jesus paid the wages. He spilled his blood all out unto death in place of yours. All right, so let's explore this together. Uh, Our first point is Christ's mediation. Well, verse 15, it says, therefore, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Well, I'll give you a shorthand on that word, therefore. Um, It's precisely where we left off last time, which was the discussion of the purification of our consciences. And that happened through, verse 14, the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So that's where we leave off the topic of blood and the purification of the conscience, the relieving of the conscience is where we left off. So the topic of blood is being continued and uh, it's gonna, we're gonna go further and further into that idea. So um, the idea of a mediator in verse 15 here, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant. A mediator is someone who represents two parties, right? It's a, it's a neutral party. It's someone in between who's saying, okay, this is your thing, and this is your thing. Let's talk about it. Let's bring these two parties together. That's what a mediator does. And, um, you know, ladies and gentlemen, the, the Old Testament Jews um, were unique among all of people in history. They were unique because um, you had an Israelite nation, and they were Israelite religiously, okay? So they were a nation under God, a nation that belonged to God, a worshiping nation. Now, don't think, oh yeah, like the United States used to be, what a shame what we are today. The United States was never like that. The United States was never a nation of people, and it was the religious culture too. I mean, we, we uh, didn't uh, found America so that we could all be Christian. We founded America so that we could worship the God of our choice. That's, that's, that's the freedom. And of course, once you put that democratic freedom in, 
you, you eventually get to where we are right now. I mean, laws happen, and anyway, I'm straying. But all that to say, um, there was a stipulation um, for this nation uh, who were worshipers of Yahweh. The stipulation was the co- the, the, that it was conditional. The, the covenant that God made with them was conditional. In other words, it required the obedience of the people. That was the covenant that God cut with them. If they did obey... God would be faithful to what he said, and he would bless them. If they didn't obey his law, he would be faithful to what he said, and he would curse them. That was the arrangement. They didn't obey, uh, he would be faithful to what he said and curse them. And then one commentator I was reading was saying, the rest of the Old Testament is the record of how well Israel did fulfilling that. That's pretty good, isn't it? All right? He makes a covenant with them, and he says, hey, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to establish you. I'm going to bring you into land uh, flowing of milk and honey. Uh, I'm going to be your God. You're going to worship me. I'm going to be in your midst. Uh, you're going to encamp around me. Obey me. I'll bless you. Uh, disobey me, and uh, the, the deal's broken. All right? So that's, that's the situation. Well, I'll give you a hint how they did. Spiritually badly. And also physically badly because they all got hijacked, they got kidnapped, they got captured by two uh, uh, enemy countries. So here's the fat question I think we have to ask, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I've, I have personally enjoyed pondering this a whole lot. If, okay, we're talking about a mediator, the mediator of a new covenant, Jesus, the mediator between two parties, God and sinners, a holy God and sinners, the mediator, all right? So, um, if the agreement was that if they obeyed God's law, he would bless them, and if, he, uh, if they didn't obey God's law, he would curse them. If that was the uh, agreement and God just did what he had promised, why was there a need for a mediator? <laughs> what was being mediated? I mean, it's just what God said he would do. It's not like there are opposing parties, and it's certainly not like uh, humanity was going, oh, how can we submit ourselves more deeply and more carefully to the will of this holy God? They weren't doing that. So what, what's, what's the need? Well, flip, if you would, to Genesis chapter 15. Uh, I know you've been there many a time, um, but it's an important place to be. Genesis 15. And um, God comes to Abram, this, this pagan in the land of Ur the Chaldees, and he comes to Abram and he says, um, he says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Verse 2 of chapter 15 of Genesis. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, some relative. Um, And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. So God makes a promise to Abram, right? Your very own son shall be your heir. And God brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven. Uh, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to numb them. Now, don't think here. Think like a, a thatched hut on vacation in Bora Bora, uh, that sky. Think of the lush, just expanse of stars. God shows it to him. And uh, he says, go ahead and number them if you can. And God says, so shall your offspring be. So that's how many I'm going to take. I know you and your wife can't have kids. Oh, and you're way too old to have kids anyway. I know that. I know that it's impossible. But God makes him a promise and says, I'm going to make you a promise, and from your own loins is going to be this vast nation as, as great as the amount of stars. And it says in verse 6, Abram believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Some of your translations may say, the NIV says, credited to him as righteousness. 
Well, the point in that, ladies and gentlemen, is this. God makes a promise to Abraham. He cuts a covenant with him. And it just two chapters later in Genesis, it is called, God calls it himself to the same man, an everlasting covenant. That's a big deal. It's an everlasting covenant. All right? So God puts, God gives the law. He establishes a people. They fail. But what does God go back to? The promise that he's made. That's why he goes ahead and he's faithful to his word. He does bring about judgment and so on. Um, but he retains a remnant. And through that remnant comes the Lord Jesus Christ and the church is eventually established. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, there was a need to mediate then. If we look at this, there was a need to mediate for a couple of reasons. Number one, God had to be true to his own word. Okay? God made a promise to create, to have an everlasting covenant, and God continued in that everlasting covenant, and so a mediation was needed because God was moving. All right? But here's the other thing. God was moving, yes, because he promised, but moving in love. And that is a very personally applied thing, ladies and gentlemen, that God didn't give up on creation because he loved, and he loved and loves individual people like you. Are you a believer in our our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you? I mean, you have put your faith, have you, in what Christ has accomplished on the cross? You know that he paid a sin debt for you that you couldn't pay, that Christ didn't die on the cross as a good example or just to be a nice guy or it was a sad situation, but he died for individual sinners to save them, relieve them, win them, keep them, relieve their consciences. You? Well, that's a pretty profound thing, isn't it? That mediation is needed, the Savior, because God is moving in love. It's a wonderful thought, ladies and gentlemen. Um, here, here's the problem. Here, here's the, here's the, the math equation. God is and always was holy. Sinners were not holy. We human beings were messed up. And um, we're, we're guilty, aren't we? We're corrupted. Um, we are miserable. We're fighting all the time from bedrooms to boardrooms. That's, uh, that's, that's humanity. Uh, We need a mediator to save us, and so God provides a mediator so that he can graciously love us in his presence and be satisfied with his own justice and his own truth, his own nature. Um, Now, how should we apply this to your life? Um, I haven't thought about this in quite a while. I don't think I've ever told this to you, but uh, back in the day when I used to sing in a sleazy lounge band, um, I broke up more than one fight. I think two fights I broke up, but one in particular, in particular really sticks out. It was in Midtown. You know, there's a place down there called Zinni's. And then for a while, there's another place like right down around the corner. It was like Zinni's 2 or Zinni's East. Yeah, Zinni's East. And now it's been like Asian restaurants and just, it's been a million things, all right? But Zinni's 2. Anyway, we played at Zinni's 2 one night and there was this fight that broke out. And I mean, it was two big bowls. And it wasn't like oh, put that down. You know, it was bulls just, uh, these guys were screaming face to face and were just, I mean, just in the beginning of just about to pound it out. And I don't know what I was thinking. I I think I was thinking, stand back, I'm the singer, you know. Um, (laughs) But I I did have a microphone, so I thought maybe I had a Thor. I don't know what, anyway, I broke the fight up. And I, I couldn't believe what I was doing, but I, I got in the middle of the... It's a great way to get killed yourself. But anyway, I got in the middle of these two guys, and I was so quick. I, I, I'm still shocked at myself after all these years. I was so quick, 
And I, I took such authority over them, and I was louder than them, and I told the one guy, you, you know, like the, the worst guy, the, the, the offending party. There was like one guy I thought should leave and one guy I thought should stay. And so the guy I thought should leave, I said, you, get out of here right now. And to my shock, he did. <laughs> and then the other guy, I go, and you, sit down and shut up. And uh, I know some of you are like, oh, he swore in church. But that's nothing I heard, didn't hear my mother say a million times. But um, anyway, to my surprise, he sat down and shut up too. My point in sharing that with you is those two parties were vehemently opposed to one another. And a mediator came in with great authority and thunder and, and had to separate them. My, my, uh, my point is... Um, they were vehemently opposed. I mean, they were already starting to swing blows and they were big people. And had a mediator not stepped in, there would have been some kind of destruction. Um, And so, the sinner's problem, ladies and gentlemen, I think, is that we don't view the relationship with God that way. We think that God uh, finds sin annoying and uh, disappointing uh, and, and, and all that, we, we think that God's just kind of like, uh, he's perturbed. He's perturbed and maybe, maybe a little heartbroken. Um, but, but I don't think that sinners think that God is vehemently opposed. Well, I try to live my life my best, and, blah, 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 and you know I'm not that bad off. No, it's vehement opposition. Vehement. The need for a mediator is very great. Um, Turn, if you would, to uh, Psalm 5. We'll come back to Hebrew in a second. Hebrews. But Psalm 5, uh, verse 4. Listen to this. Yeah. You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Now, ladies and gentlemen, have you ever sinned? Have you sinned? Have you? Evildoer! If you sinned, you are an evildoer. And the Bible is very specific about what God thinks about evildoers. That's vehement opposition, ladies and gentlemen. Unless you think, oh, well, I don't know. My Bible, Bible translation has the word hate. Um, uh, that, may be, that may be pretty strong. Surely that's not uh, l- the literal way to think about that. I mean, um, well, I'll tell you what. You can find 40-plus examples of God specifically hating evil in the Scriptures, hating Um, And at no time is the Bible embarrassed or worried about God's PR. God hates sin. He's vehemently opposed. And guess what? Sinners are vehemently opposed to him too. And by the way, I looked in over 20 Bible translations on this psalm that I just read to you. And in every one of them, the word is hate. Do you know why? Well, think about it. Oh, and by the way, if you want to look it up, check this out. It is to hate personally. So it's not just, oh, I don't like the sin. It's to hate personally. You hate all evildoers. To hate personally. That's not me making it up. That's me looking it up. I can even pronounce a little Hebrew word for you. I won't do it, but 
I've been working on it. But, but listen, in the definition, to find odious utterly. That's what it says. To find odious utterly. Now think about that. God is infinite. He's infinite in his perfections. He's infinite in his justice. Infinite in his truth. Infinite in his holiness. That is vehement opposition with sinners, ladies and gentlemen. Vehement. It's big, big trouble. Hey, uh, here's a... Here's a a verse from Proverbs 16. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Isn't it true? Well, why'd you do that, Bob? Well, uh, you don't know how crazy he is. I wouldn't have done that. I was provoked. I was provoked. That was a favorite one when I was a kid. Why'd you do that? I was provoked. He provoked me. Really? Is that it? Or did you sin? Do you take ownership? All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. Well, I just was only trying to, it's just me, I'm an Italian. But the Lord weighs the heart. That's cosmic trouble. Here's another one. Um, a just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in his bag are his work. So doesn't matter what your definition of goodness is or if you think we're getting graded on a curve or whatever. The Lord's got the scale and he's got a bag full of weights, and they're his weights, and they're perfect weights, and he weighs us. That's vehement opposition, ladies and gentlemen. Now, if you, if you would flip to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh, this is a, uh, the Apostle Paul writing and speaking of non-Christians, non-believers in this Christ. He's saying, that mind is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And by the way, that word hostile, some, most translations say hostile, um, but some say uh, enmity, and other translations even say hatred. So, ladies and gentlemen, why are Christians so hung up on blood? Why, why this, this horrifying scene on the cross, this profane scene of a brutalized Savior? Why? Our problem, ladies and gentlemen, fundamentally, is that we're hostile toward this God, and we need a mediator. The problem is we're guilty. The problem is the wages of sin is death, and we should pay that wage. But the mediator came, and he shed his blood, the blood that we should have shed. He died the life that we died. You know, um, this, this, this point here, I, I, it's, common, it's common in theological spheres to say Jesus spilled his blood unto death. Jesus spilled his blood. He poured out his blood. He spilled his blood. We say that a lot. It, it's, it's not that... Um, the amount of pain he suffered paid the sin debt. It's not that. It's that his blood was poured out unto physical death. He did die the death. It's a reality. He paid the sin debt. And um, he, is the, he is the very righteousness, ladies and gentlemen, given to the sinner that makes God smile and not cringe. That's what this mediator, mediator did for us. Uh, Jesus said, it is finished. You know why? Because it is finished. All right, second point. Christ's will and testament. Um, it says in verse 15 of our passage, let me flip back. It says, uh, therefore, Christ is a mediator of a new covenant um, so that those who are called may receive the promise, promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred 
That's important. The death has occurred, okay? That's, that's an important little component there. That redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, uh, since it's not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Well, that's easy to understand, right? Um, if somebody croaks... Um, they don't leave any inheritance money to anybody until they croak. I mean, that's the way it works. You have to die, and then the inheritance goes out. And that's what the, the, the Scripture writer is saying here. Um, and uh, so that's, that's pretty easy to, uh, to understand. Um, let me read this to you. I just think this is so clearly put, I don't think I could say it any better. It's talking about Christ's last will and testament. It says, this is so cool. It says, um, <clears throat> at this point, The idea of a will is introduced into the discussion. The Greek word for will, uh, uh, diathake, is also the word for covenant. Isn't that interesting? So the word for will, you know, last will and testament, and the word for covenant is the same. But what's interesting is is what this guy is saying and what they're all saying, is that in secular Greek culture, um, that word, diathake, diathake, yeah, diathake, was, was commonly used for a will and testament. So uh, somebody wants to get their affairs in order, they go and get one of these deals. Um, but what's so cool about it is it's, it's also a word used for covenant. And so the scripture writer capitalizes on that. And so basically what, what we're getting here is the idea of Jesus' last will and testament and what we inherit when he dies. Is that not cool? Um, so the writer's point is that Christ has died and there are heirs. Who are the heirs? The heirs are the believing men and women who put their faith and confidence in what Christ has done for them to save them. Those are the heirs. Now, what do we inherit? What we inherit is this, friends. We inherit the very presence of God now and forever. Can you pray to God now as your heavenly Father and know that he hears you, know that your maker hears you, your God hears you? Yes, you have profound and intimate presence now and forever. That's part of the inheritance. Um, we uh, have inherited the reality that he is working all things together for our good. No matter what happens, it's not without meaning. He's working all things together for our good, even when it doesn't seem like it. Even when enemies are rising up and when favor has fallen away, God is still working things together for good. That's part of the inheritance. How about this? He's executing the masterful plan that he's made for you, for your life. That's part of the inheritance. He's not going to let you go, friends. And how about this? We've inherited the reality that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing, not even you. Well, how do, how do we apply it then? Well, I'll say this. I think that we should live the lives of someone who has a great inheritance doesn't that seem like a wise piece of advice? Live the life of someone who is, is awaiting and enjoying a, a large, eternal, significant um, inheritance. Uh, you know, folks, it says this in John, 1 John 3. Beloved, we are God's children. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall, she, shall, shall see him as he is. That's part of the inheritance, that we are beloved children. And that this life just doesn't stop, but we go to be with him. What that'll be like, we don't know, but it'll be wonderful because we'll be like him. 
That's part of the inheritance. So why not live like that? I mean, it's a pretty great thing to be hopeful for. But check out this last thing. Look at verse 15 again of our passage. Very easy to miss. Therefore, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant so that, here it is, those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. That ought to give your souls great comfort because God has called you. He has summoned you. He wants you. He died to send a Savior who died to win you. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're called, you're kept. All right, last thing. Last point, I should say. Christ's blood of the covenant. Um, look at verse 19. This whole thing. When every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, <laughs> he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. And uh, he said, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled uh, with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. And, and, uh, and blood purifies things. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Now, did anybody grow up at, uh, go to uh, Central Church back in the day? Um, we did too. And I used to crack up uh, every time uh, Latimer would get up there and he'd go, you know, he, uh, he kind of sounded like Foghorn Leghorn. He's still alive, so I shouldn't slight him too bad. But... Um, I ain't no chicken, chicken hawk. He sounded like Father Leghorn. But he would say, every time he would say, cleanse me with hyssop. Remember that? But he would say, hyssop. And I'd hear him, I'd hear him say, hyssop. <coughs> I can't even do him. I'm gagging. That's God's judgment upon me, but he would say, hyssop. And I'd sit out there and I'd be like, hyssop. I got to get some hyssop. I mean, I, there's something magical about this hyssop. I mean, he really just loves saying hyssop with a dra- drama. And what is this hyssop? Well, you know what hyssop is? It's a bush. It's a bush. It's kind of a wispy bush. Uh, and it does flower. It has different colored flowers and uh, purple flowers. I think white flowers too. But I mean, it's just a bush. And all Moses did was take some piece of a bush and he dips it in water and blood. And, but think about that. He sprinkled, he puts it on the side of the altar and he's doing it on, on the people. Now, can you imagine you and your little children standing there and blood and water's heading your way? Moses is doing this on the people. A branch, blood and water. Is that not a dramatic scene? That would be quite memorable, wouldn't you say? Maybe more memorable than being in Gross Lab, uh, the cadaver lab, to get sp- sprinkled with blood uh, by Moses. Well, ladies and gentlemen... Um, there's only one path to, to God for the sinner. That's the whole point. Only one path. It's the path of blood. It's the way of blood. Uh, it, it's, the, it's the only way. And God has gone to great extremes throughout human history to display the, the great trauma, the, the, the great separation between a holy God and sinners. Uh, the, the life of a thing is in the blood and Jesus spilled all of his life. That pays the sin debt. You know, ladies and gentlemen, this is a verse from Ezekiel 18. The soul who sins is the one who will die. Well, that's the problem. That's the, that's the sin problem. The wages of sin is death, separation from God's grace. Um, so here's how you need to think about it. Um, you know, my grandfather... Um, 
Grandpa Silhan. Another thing, I was going to quote my Czech grandfather for, for Silky. Um, he was a tough dude, man. Tough. These, these Czech, the Czech men and women are tough. And um, he, he was 86 when he died and just was tough, tough, tough. I mean, he had bladder cancer. He had a tumor in his head and he'd been operated on. He had a bad leg. And I mean, he was just so tough and just, just was tough. His wife died 20 years earlier than him. And... Uh, just a tough, nutty old dude. And, um, and my mom said that she drove him back to his apartment. And he was sitting in the car. And he was looking at the apartment door. And uh, he, it was right, I mean, two weeks before he died. He was sitting there and he looked at the door. And he, he said to my mother, I can't. He, he, he didn't know how he was going to get to the door. I can't. And I remember my mother saying that in, you know, 60 years of being on this earth observing this man, she had never, ever, ever, ever heard him say the words, I can't. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, that's the way you come to Christ. That's the way that you come to this God. You, you finally come to the point, you finally come to the end of your own abilities where you say, I've run out of resources, I, I, I can't try any harder, I just can't. I can't meet your holy standard. I can't be good enough. I can't work hard enough. I can't donate enough. I can't do it. I have to rely on you to help me all the way. I can't. That is the place where you start in coming to this God. You can't. That's the message of the gospel. You can't, but God can, and God provided in Jesus Christ. All right, last thing I'll show you uh, in is uh, some pictures. I'm going to read something to you. All right. So in the news, Pope's in America and uh, I'm watching all the travels and all this stuff. And there's this one particular picture that I, I just, I saw somewhere and went online and found it. And then I found a few others and it just, let me put my glasses on so I can enjoy this and be miserable at the same time. All right. This is at the, the, the World Trade Center Memorial. There's the Pope, obviously, and it's a little outfit. Look, Look at this band of nincompoops. I mean, one wacky costume after another. They're all duded up. They all got their little style and everything. And, oh, look, we've all come together. Oh, look, I got the thing and the beard and the... Here's a few more. Uh, Listen, you put something on like that? Yeah, everybody's going to listen to you. What if I walked around like that? If I walked through the Target like that, people would be like, what's that guy got to say? Look at that. Look at these guys. A band of idiots. Now, I'm not saying that to be mean, but I'm just saying, you know, someday when I get the wand waved over to me, over me, I'm not wearing a robe. I, I decided that last night. I'm like, I'm not wearing a robe. Now, I know it, you know, it sets somebody apart, and it's not the man. It hides the man. I don't think it hides the man. I think it showcases the man, honestly. I'm not saying that you can't wear a robe, but you know what? I'm not dressing up. Not put on a little costume. I look at all this and I'm like, you know, what's the appeal of all these world religions? What's the appeal of all these world religions? You know what the appeal is? In fact, that was said at dinner the other night. What's the appeal? I mean, 70 virgins and all that kind of business. Is that the appeal? No, the appeal is this. If you, if you get online with those jokers, guess what you get to do? You get to do. 
I get to do and do and do and do. I get to perform. I get to go this like six times a day. I get to wear beanies and there's incense and la 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 and turbans and all that kind of business. I get to do. I get to participate. That is not the message of the gospel. That is not this. That's another gospel. The message of the gospel is I can't. That's the message of the gospel. I can't. Message of the gospel is that Christ laid down his life in the sinner's place. You can't, but God can. All right, last thing I'll show you is this. This is a, a book. This is, the memoir, this is the memoir and remains of Robert Murray McShane. If you've never heard of him, um, Scott, Scott Preacher, um, Famous Life. This, actually, this book is, the year on this book is 1892. This is an, the 1892 edition, the first edition. And uh, he was a minister who died at a very young age, but I mean, he wrote a lot of stuff uh, for dying at 30-something. But listen to this. Be encouraged by this. If you were lying at the bottom of the sea, no one could see your deformities. So when the infinite ocean of Emmanuel's righteousness flows over the soul, you are swallowed up as it were, in Christ. Your blackness is never seen, only Christ's fairness. And thus a God of truth can say, behold, thou art fair. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Thou art fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. When we talk about being swallowed up in Christ's blood or being plunged beneath the fountain those, those are shocking things. Yeah, blood belongs on the inside of the body, not the outside of the body. That's the point. Christ spilled his blood to win you. And because of that, your guilt, your shame, your sin, your affected conscience, it's like all that stuff is not at the bottom of the sea, but the bottom of the ocean, and it is washed over so that God looks at you. He doesn't cringe. What he does is he says, oh, my fair one, the fairness the righteousness, the beauty of my own son. That's what he sees in you. That's the gospel. Righteous Father, we pray that you'll take true things and apply them to our hearts, that you will rattle us by things that are supposed to rattle us, and uh, you will teach our souls to joy in this great gospel and to live like people who have a great inheritance, because we do. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, you guys.